Welcome to Season 2 of Game Design Unboxed on the No Direction Network. Danielle talks to tabletop game designers about the games they've made. Together, they unbox how the game went from inspiration to publication. Thank you for joining me, Danielle, for Game Design Unboxed, Inspiration to Publication, Episode 32, Pipeline. Today, we are joined by Ryan Courtney, designer of Curious Cargo, Fair Raid, and this episode's spotlight, Pipeline. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Well, just to get us kicked off, I'd love to hear how you got into the gaming industry. Uh, so I started, I guess, in undergrad. I had a degree in something called digital arts and sciences, which uh, for me, I was going to work. I wanted to do it for to, to get into sort of like special effects for videos. Uh, so I guess that was sort of my introduction to, to game design. Uh, and, but then when I was at school for that, I ended up getting interested in, uh, AI. We did like AI for games and things like that. I ended up going off to, to grad school to do that, uh, but not for games. And so I sort of left games and then while in grad school, I ended up seeing a game jam. Uh, I think it was a couple of years into grad school and, a buddy and I went out to that game jam. We did well in the game jam and ended up getting offered uh, a contract to make a game for them. Uh, so that's how I got into professional game design. Oh, that's so cool. Where was this game jam? It was at, uh, let's see, I think it was called NYU Poly at the time. I think that's now just NYU. Um, but it was in Brooklyn, uh, at NYU. Yeah. Very cool. Well, Hey, then why don't we jump over to pipelines? So for anyone who hasn't played the game, would you mind kind of describing what it looks like and how you play it? Sure. So pipeline is a business simulator, uh, that is basically mixing, uh, an economic game and a spatial puzzle. So, if you've played any sort of like uh, connect the pipe style games, uh, there's a lot of them on both board games and on video games. So it's not like a, a new mechanism by any means. Yeah. Um, basically, we took that pipe connecting thing, added it to an economic game. Uh, and that was, I guess, what made it sort of newer. And then so how do you play the game? It's an optimization game. So basically what you're trying to do is you're trying to make the most out of each of your actions. Uh, so you have one worker that moves around and can choose between one of uh, eight actions or nine actions. And so each turn you take an action, it does something to basically either progress your building up of your infrastructure or utilizing that infrastructure uh, to refine oil or basically buy and sell uh, oil. So those are the three sort of main things that you're doing. And then it's just a snowball engine type game. So uh, money is points. You build an engine, you try to have the most money at the end of the game. And what made you decide to go with three different types of oil? Because I know you're refining it. Uh, simply the, the pipe puzzle. So it has zero thematic purpose. 
it was simply that the pipe tiles that uh, I wanted to work with, I wanted, uh, we had three different colors because that sort of made sense for the number of tiles that we wanted to do. So with three colors, you have 135 unique uh, combinations of it. And so, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Strictly mechanically uh, decided upon. Okay. And so what inspired you to design this game in particular? At the time, I was a big fan. I'm still a fan of Lacerda's business simulator style games. And I was like, I I think I could make uh, a business simulator too. And I didn't think that there was a as much competition in that area as, as uh, many other areas. So I was like, okay, here's the area that's sort of not served as much as it could be. And I think I could probably make a game in this vein. Uh, so yeah, basically copying Lacerda. And this was your first design, right? That was published. I had some educational games that were published beforehand and but yeah, this was my first uh, first game just by my like solo, as in like just me as the designer, uh, and also for entertainment, not educational purposes. Sure. And then, so the theme. Why did you gravitate towards it? Was it because of the mechanics that you wanted to play with? Yeah. So we had the pipe puzzle, and so basically, I wanted to sort of rely a little bit on the familiarity of that pipe puzzle. And I looked at what is that, what themes has that puzzle been used with? And it was basically sewage systems or oil. And I was like, I don't know. (laughs) I I guess I prefer oil over sewage systems uh, for a theme here. That's fair. I know I've definitely tried to shop around one of my designs called Rubbish, which is about like dumpster diving. And a lot of publishers are like, no one wants to think about that. And I was like, oh, but it's fun. <laughs> but themes are important. And how did you come up with like the different pricing for the oil types? Uh, just iteration. So I did put essentially a price on what an action is approximately supposed to be. And so I had basic guidelines for those things. So I had a structure and then play testing to sort of move it up and down uh, based off of sort of where we wanted people to score at the end. And like our target was that people scoring around $1,000 a piece in the game. Why was that your target? <laughs> fairly arbitrary <laughs> uh it, it felt like a nice ramp up like it felt like you got stuff done at a thousand dollars a game but admittedly not everybody is hitting a thousand dollars um and so maybe that was a a weakness on our part was you know we we're shooting for people to score in that thousand dollar range and uh for a lot of folks the thousand dollar range is not really where they are in each game and is that how you came up with the three years being the game's time length and kind of just like doing less and less actions for each year? So originally the game had four years and it went eight, six, four, two. And 
basically the idea was is that you were going to run this company until it was completely automated and in the in the original version there's a much more complicated original version of the game in which every aspect of the business could be completely automated so you could automate both the acquisition of oil uh, along with refining it and selling it uh some of that stuff uh got cut out of the game and so there are things that were in there uh in that original game that had that made thematic sense or were were playing into like the overall design decisions that i was making um that maybe aren't as clear uh whenever it ended up getting streamlined so we ended up streamlining the game uh to try to make it so it wasn't quite as nice as it was when it was in that super complex version and by cutting it down uh to just the three years it felt like it hit the the length like the the number of minutes we wanted people to be spending in the game so yeah it was it was mostly to try to make it more accessible so we cut the game a little bit shorter uh, on actions for that and how long does the game typically take to play with like i don't know three or four players it's supposed to take 30 minutes per player is what we were shooting on. Uh, I've seen numbers range quite drastically. Uh, I know when the developer and I play together, you know, we're probably shooting in the 20 minutes per player range. Uh, And then I've seen things online with people probably 45 minutes per player or an hour per player. Yeah, I feel like that's most board games. You can never really get the exact timing down, but I like the fact that you did it per player because I feel like that's more accurate because just putting 40 minutes on the box could mean nothing when it's four players. Right, yeah. The, the game length doesn't uh, doesn't have a way to like scale for the players. So it's it's not a game that gets shorter when there's like – you, you get shorter number of actions whenever there's four. So like in Bear Raid, the higher the players that you have, the less uh, rounds you have. And so that tries to keep the, the overall game length the same. In Pipeline, there's nothing. I mean, four players is exactly two times as many actions in the game as two players. Makes sense. And so when you were going through and playtesting and developing, what kinds of other changes did you make besides kind of shortening it and streamlining? When it was being playtested, it originally started in a version where just money dumped on you. So at the end of the game, you had huge amounts of cash. Uh, And so that was a thing that we ended up trying to tone down a little bit. And then over time, the game got more and more complex and was more like thematically tied, I think, uh, because sort of every aspect I felt had like its own mechanism that was tied to the theme. But that game got so complex that really only a few people were able to play it well. And a lot of people were playing and basically going bankrupt uh, in the game or, or scoring hardly anything. And so because of that complexity, 
we had to end up, uh, yeah, a good amount of the time was going from, okay, we're making this game more and more complex and more and more thematically tied in. And then, oops, this has gotten too complex. Uh, it, it sucks to lose like the thematic tie-ins here, but uh, we're going to need to drop uh, things. And then what things do we need to drop and still keep the, the main feeling of the game? Uh, so that was pretty difficult was knowing where to drop things. And so we were trying different mechanisms, dropping out different mechanisms, sort of one or two at a time and seeing, okay, is this still fun or not uh, without this mechanism? Oh, yeah, that does seem very difficult. I do love that you're able to take loans out. And I know you mentioned that some people were bankrupt. Did you see that players were uh, using that a lot? Oh, yeah. So the game is pretty much designed for you to take out loans. So it's it's very rare to do well in the game without taking any loans at all. So if you're if you have an aversion to taking loans, you're you're actually hurting yourself pretty bad in in this game. It is possible in some games to do without loans, but it's almost always better uh, to utilize the loan system. That's good to know. I would have been the person that's like, no, I'm not going to use the loan. I'm just going to like sell a little bit of oil here and hopefully it's going to work out. Yeah, take loans two to three every game. Okay, good to know. And then you have your like upgrade cards. And so what made you decide to allow players to flip like an additional upgrade token to kind of block other players? It feels very take that compared to a lot of the rest of the game. So originally, only two people were going to be allowed to buy upgrades per round. And I believe that may have even scaled for player count. So like it may have been, I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was stricter before. And then we switched it to that to loosen it up. Uh, from my perspective, I don't think that it's any different than the other uh, actions in that the first person to get to that action gets the main benefit. The second person who gets to that action gets the rest of that benefit. And then there's really no nothing left for anybody else. That's the case for pretty much every single action. So like if you go to shops and you buy pipes usually you know the yeah you buy pipes or machines it's really the first two people who are getting the getting everything there is to get from that place uh leaving maybe a little bit of some small stragglers of things behind uh so and same with buying oil like the first two people to go buy oil from a market there's not much left and the first two people to sell to a market there's not much less so uh, yeah, we were trying to make it consistent with the other actions and we actually tried to loosen it up a little bit. Was it the right decision uh, perception-wise? I don't know. Like, m- maybe perception-wise, that was a mistake. Uh, but we were we were trying to loosen that up and I think the idea of flipping something over uh, even though that was loosening the action from where it was, I think it can come across as like you're doing this just to hurt somebody else. And I think maybe what we should have just done is stuck with the original thing was basically there's two tokens that can be grabbed. And so you first person there gets to take token one, second person there gets to take token two. Nobody else gets anything from the 
uh, upgrades anymore. So yeah, that loosening, I think, unfortunately, came across as take that instead of loosening. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, a person who's new to the game, their frame of reference is not that it used to be even stricter, right? They don't know that. So yeah, that's that's my fault on that for sure. Uh, I think we should have just kept it stricter. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I was just curious because compared to other things, it kind of stood out to me. But then, I mean, what inspired you on how to like run the personal pipelines to refine the oil? I know it's kind of based off of the three colors that you talked about, but just like, would you mind running through how that works when you take that action to anyone who hasn't played? Sure. So basically, you've got these pipe tiles that are sort of like uh, if you play like Zero of the High Seas or like Past Tally, I think, or there's a lot of games that have like these winding path style uh, games or, or paths. And uh, basically in this, you're building these together with up to three different colors and the length that you have of a, of a pipe, which is just how long it is contiguous of one color is going to determine how well you can refine the oil. So you're basically wanting to sort of spaghetti noodle these things in and out of each other, sort of in a mess, and then place your worker sort of in the middle of it so that they can run as many lines as possible. And uh, the longer, uh, the better. So the longer it is, the, the more you can refine the oil. Yeah, honestly, that was the part that attracted me to your game. When I was at GenCon, I was like, oh, what is this? Also, your game is massive. I'm sure playtesting was probably hard to find the space just on a table. <laughs> and to remake the prototype, that probably was a pain in the butt. Yeah, definitely. So early playtesting was definitely done on physical copies. And then we moved to Vassal. And then we moved uh, to TTS. So... Yeah, I, I had no desire to keep cutting out new prototypes for it as we sort of iterated through. And it, there was certainly a lot of uh, <laughs> print just a little bit of something and then glue that on top or tape that on top of things uh, so we didn't have to re redo everything. But I think I lost one copy to a bar mistake. And... That was not fun, right? So oh, no. I didn't really want to recut out 135 new tiles. Um, but yeah, it definitely, it's very nice to use electronic tools that allow for iteration. Uh, it's just much faster whenever you have a game that has that many components. I completely agree. Tabletop Simulator has been such a life changer for me, just time wise. Yeah, it also gets you access to. Uh, so when you're making games that are a little bit more uh, niche, which certainly the original pipeline was even more so, it was much more, it, like I said, it was much more complex. Uh, finding playtesters and finding uh, playtesters that match sort of your target audience is much harder. And when you go online, uh, then you can reach a lot of people, you know, out like I live in New York City, which is fairly dense. Uh, and so I have access to a lot of people, but even in a, even in a place like here, uh, it's just much easier to go online and find, 
you know, and, and do all of the US or it like, I actually had people testing around the world. Uh, and so that was uh, very helpful. I don't think it's necessary for every game, but the the more niche your game is, the the better going online and testing it is. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And then for the game, what are the different ways players can score at the end? So basically, you're just getting a total valuation of your company, which is going to be your your cash on hand. Plus, there's going to be uh, three valuation uh, cards. And then there's one that's sort of like a piece of cardboard that's always in there where you just get additional valuation for things attached to machines. So basically, you've got these three special valuations each each game and they come from a set of them i don't remember how many there are uh and basically it tells you uh how your company is going to be evaluated at the end of the game they're shared like they're global everybody gets them uh and so you score those things you score your cash on hand uh, and then you subtract your loans and then you score uh, basically like some remnants of stuff. So what, what oil do you have refined left in your, uh, tank farm? And then, um, how you score off your pipe network and stuff like that. So you score infrastructure, you score cash on hand, and then you score these special valuation cards. Very cool. I like when there is a nice variety of ways to score points, but, I'm still, I feel like I need to play and see if I can take out like a stupid amount of loans and see how that affects me because I find that entertaining. Yeah, I think if you stay below, if you stay on the left-hand side of that chart, I think you still have a chance. I think it's when you move to the right-hand side of that chart, uh, then it starts getting very difficult. I think it's like something around like the five or six mark where if you're much above that, I think you're going to have a hard time being the the winner. Noted. And how did you go about getting it published with Capstone Games? Uh, just being annoying. I just went up to them at their booth and I was like, I think I have a game that makes sense for your company. And he basically was like, uh, no, we're busy or whatever. I don't have time to look at it. I was like, all right. And then I think his wife was also working the booth. It was like, eh, why don't you just send an email or whatever? And so I went and I sent an email and then uh, I got a response back basically saying, we're not interested. We already have games that are sort of uh, that sort of theme. Cause I think they had been doing the cold trilogy. And so I was like, okay, so that was two rejections and, sort of the same day. And then I, I don't know if I went back up again or like I was just walking by the booth, but basically one of the, one of the volunteers there on the last day said, so it's Joe Wiggins. He, he was working at Panda. Now I think he works for uh, boardgametables.com. Uh, but he was a volunteer for Capstone at the time. And he's like, I have a little bit of free time. I'll check out the game. And so he ended up checking out the game and he was uh, quite excited about it. And basically I think he started nagging uh, Clay, the owner of Capstone that Clay needed to end up trying the game. And that's sort of how it worked. So 
yeah, I mean, mostly luck. I just went to a convention. I, I went up there and asked, got rejected a, a couple of times and then got lucky enough that one of the volunteers felt either bad for me or something and ended up play testing it or not play testing, but like demoing it and then got excited. And then that person essentially did all the work for me as far as getting clay to be interested in it, I guess. That's so funny. And so now that it's published, how is the game doing? I think the game has exceeded any expectation that I had for it, uh, for sure. So it, yeah, I'm, I was surprised how popular that how popular it was. Uh, we did do, like I said, we did do stuff to try to make it less niche than it was. Like we at, like originally, it was definitely. I felt it was super niche. We tried to make it more uh, brought, like to hit a broader market. But no, I definitely did not expect people to. Uh, yeah, it is doing it did quite well. It's still doing well. Uh, so that's that's been a pleasant surprise. That is really awesome. I do remember for like a year or two seeing it at basically all the conventions that Capstone was at. So that's why when I met you, I was like, oh, my God, I remember this game. This is so cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very, very lucky. I, I, Yeah, I don't know what the magic sauce is or any of that, but it was definitely cool to to be part of it. And how long do you think it took to go from inspiration of the game to its publication and like getting out to players? I think it started in 2016. I that I don't know that, I don't know for a fact, but I think it was something around 2016 because if I I think I I think I saw an account that I made around that time recently and I think it was 2016. So probably 3 years it took for that one uh from sort of idea to uh, it getting shipped to people three or four years, something like that. That's not a bad timeline. I feel like that's pretty standard, at least on the hobby side. Yeah. I I think that is about how long things usually take. It. I think, yeah, I think as a consumer, sometimes it doesn't seem like that because like a designer pops out a new game each year. But I think uh, a lot of times those new games have been uh, in the queue for, for some time. Oh, for sure. Definitely. And then what was your favorite and least favorite experience of this design journey? Okay, so the favorite experience is I ended up meeting a guy online. He had he volunteered to play test the game and he ended up enjoying it quite a bit. And now uh, he and I work on games together. Uh, regularly now so he's been the developer on uh, several of my games Um, and uh, yeah we work on game designs together quite a bit where I do development on his stuff and he does development on my stuff so yeah meeting Tim Kaiser was definitely the best thing uh, that came out of Pipeline Uh, the worst thing out of Pipeline I guess there's always delays on things. And so you, you try to do as much as you can to have expansions and stuff like that come out in sort of like a timely uh, fashion. And like you want to be constantly providing new content for folks. Uh, 
but it feels like once you once once deadlines like that start to slip uh it's hard to to keep it quite as consistent as we we wanted like originally i think the the plan was to release the game and then have uh expansions come out every year um and obviously the last like the last expansion that we released for pipeline was fairly recent so that was about it took about two years after instead of one year and so we're a little bit behind on releasing those and i suspect that like the next expansion is also going to probably be two years like you know two years from the last expansion so i think we're yeah there's it's there's seems to be a lot of delays uh you know i don't yeah it would be nice if they were avoidable i don't know if they really are or not um but maybe over a time I'll get better at uh, making sure that there aren't delays on those things so that I can keep a, a much more consistent regular schedule on releases. I think that's better for the customer. Yeah, but I mean, every two years isn't terrible. And what did the most recent expansion add to the game? Uh, it basically adds more variability. So the thing that I think is the the main add is the variable markets. And so with the variable markets, it basically makes it so you randomize all the demand for oil as well as uh, the supply of oil in the game. And what that forces you to do is it makes you have to pay a lot more attention to uh, the pathing of your actions. Uh, whereas when without that, you can sort of use similar pathing through your actions in the game uh with this you really need to to pay attention to like okay i need to do this now because i'm gonna have to you know make this different move because i can both buy and sell oil here or i need to go take this action over here where i can't sell oil anymore because there's not an oil selling action next to it uh those those types of things maybe aren't immediately obvious, but it, it, it drastically changes what you can do with your main action and your secondary action and sort of the ordering in which you do those things. That is really cool. I mean, I love expansions in the way that if you have a game that you're obsessed with that you played to death, it really does add more to it. But it's fascinating to see like how designers come up with them or if they end up using a new person to like spice it up a bit. It'll be interesting. So we have, yeah, so we have a second expansion or designed uh it'll be interesting to see what things we release and there's a desire to eventually release something close to the original pipeline game at least there's a desire for me i don't know if there's a commercial desire <laughs> but i like i would like to release that original design just because it has all those sort of thematic tie-ins that i like and it sort of completes the picture like in my head of how the game was is supposed to sort of run. So I, I hope to be able to release that, though I wouldn't be surprised if, if it never gets released or if uh, it gets released in a very small print run style uh, thing. What would you call it? I don't know. Yeah, the complete pipeline or something. I, I don't know. I'm not. I'm definitely not good with names. Uh, somebody smarter than me would have to come up with a good name for it. And then what other projects should fans be looking out for from you? Uh, if you like pipeline, then, or if you're okay. So if you, if you bought pipeline for the economic part, I guess you can 
disregard this, but if you like pipeline for the pipe part, I have a new game coming out called Trailblazers, which is just the pipe puzzle. And it plays one to eight players and it's simultaneous pipe puzzle laying fun. Uh, takes about 20 to 30 minutes because it's simultaneous play and you're basically building different paths for different types of hikers, bikers, and kayakers. Uh, and then on top of that solo was a big thing for me for that game. And so, or, or a big focus. So I was trying to make the game accessible. That was one of the key things, but the other key thing was to make it, uh, making a game that could be, uh, enjoyed by solo players uh, because a lot of that work on Trailblazers was done sort of during the pandemic. Uh, and so I think my eyes got opened up a lot more to the value of solo gaming and uh, why you should support it and, and how it can be fun. Whereas I hadn't really done that or really looked into that quite as much uh, prior to the pandemic. And so, yeah, we, we did a lot of stuff for solo. We have three different solo modes. We have like solo achievements. We have the, the main solo game. And then we have what was called like this epic solo. And that like the number one thing I'm looking forward to in this is people playing epic solo and taking pictures of it. <laughs> Because at the end of playing Epic Solo, you have placed 72 of these trail tiles. And so you've got this huge sprawling map and it's going to have these little wooden animals on top of it as well. And so you've got yeah a huge sprawling map of tiles with little wooden animals that will be all over it. And so I think that's going to look really cool in photographs. So that's what I'm looking forward to the most is people taking pictures of their epic solo plays this 100 sounds like my kind of game i love those kind of path building games especially if it can go up to eight players because i have a tendency to invite a few too many people to game night <laughs> yeah I, I one thing that is always a challenge with these types of puzzly games is is ap and so by allowing people to play simultaneously in this or not allowing but like forcing people to play simultaneously uh, you could still play a high player account without the game length just getting super long. That's awesome. And then if you could offer one piece of advice to designers, what would it be? People are going to hate your games. So go ahead and just get them out there. Like you're never going to refine it to a point that uh, that you're going to avoid any criticism. And it's better to have your game out there and people talking about it with some naysayers than to sort of hold on to your game. I think the worst possible thing is, is like when you've been, you're like, oh, I've been working on this game for five, six years. It's not quite ready to show people yet, right? No, get it in front of people quickly. There are going to be people who hate your game no matter what. Like you can have a top 100 game and people are going to say negative things about it. You're not going to ever avoid that completely. So just get it out there. Uh, start iterating on it. And in the end, there's going to also be someone who probably is, they think it, your game is their favorite. So 
you're going to make somebody's day anyways. And that's really what you should care about is that there are going to be a few people who just really love your game uh, in the long run. I love that. That's so true, though. I've definitely had the gambit of playtesters and you're not wrong. So thanks for joining us for this episode of Game Designer Box Inspiration to Publication, episode 32, Pipeline. And thanks again, Ryan, for joining us. For anyone looking to find you, where can you be reached? Uh, RCC Games uh, at Twitter and Instagram. Cool. And then I'm your host, Danielle Reynolds. If you're looking to find me on social media, you can check me out on Instagram and Twitter under the username TokenGamer, and that's G-A-Y-E or Y-M-E-R. And then for our last question, Ryan, I want to know if you could slap your name on any game. So magically you've created Catan or Monopoly or something, which game would you choose? I think I would choose code names. <laughs> it seems like it's been quite the phenomenon and yeah it's a it's a game that i enjoyed that also went mainstream and so it it's a very clever game it's it's fun it's fun to play you can play with large groups so yeah i'd be proud of the game both because it's fun to play and then also i would not hate the royalty checks that i assume uh come along with a game that's selling that many units that's true. They have like a Disney version, a Marvel version, a Simpson version. They have the, oh my God, the undercover version, which is like their after dark kind of dirty oh. one. Do not play that game. That <laughs> is the one I was given as a gift. And it is so hard because literally everything is either like scandalous or alcohol or like weed. Like, you know, it just it's really difficult to come up with a word that doesn't make you point at everything. <laughs> yeah, it seems like something that it could everything could overlap. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 Would not recommend that version. I would recommend literally all the other versions. <laughs> yeah. Well, awesome. Hey, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. This has been another episode of Game Design Unboxed, inspiration to publication. If you'd like to hear more great gaming podcasts, check out nodirectionpodcast.com. Join us next time.